Hello and welcome to The Debrief Live. I'm Angus Scott and to be voted the best player on the planet once must be the pinnacle in anyone's footballing career. But what about picking up the trophy for a record eighth time? Surely proof, if any was needed, that Lionel Messi is the finest footballer that's ever graced the game. Surely reason in itself to spend a whole episode of a podcast dedicated to the great man. So this week we ask the question, what next for Lionel Messi? Well, in honour of his greatness, we've assembled two journalists at the top of their game. And who, if there was a Ballon d'Or for journalists, perhaps a Stilo d'Or, then these two might have been battling it out for years. First, Ben Jacobs. Hello, Ben. I'm not sure about that. Top 25 for me. I think Guillaume is more likely to be contending for the trophy, but I would fancy myself for top 25. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad place to be. Well, as Ben has hinted, alongside him, a journalist who is closer to Lionel Messi than any other. Guillaume Balaguet, whose official biography, Messi, the definitive biography, the only official one, will be the must-read for all football and Messi lovers in the coming weeks. Guillaume, great to have you on The Debrief. Hello, Angus and Ben. And uh, if you introduce every guest like that, you should use them like that. You're going to have them every week. Do you need me next week? <laughs> yes, why not? <laughs> <laughs> but you are. Well, actually, next week, you'll be talking about Messi, as you probably will be for the next few years, or maybe the rest of your career, because you're in Miami for Soccer X as well. Yeah, uh, Soccer X, which is... Uh, 14th and 15th uh, of uh, of November, so that's what Tuesday, Wednesday, flying on the Monday, and as well as other things, I've been in a panel with Ben. Uh, I will be also chatting about uh, this book I've got in my hands, which is uh, the updated, uh, as you said, authorized book on uh, on Messi. You say I'll be talking about Messi in the next few years. Um, <laughs> it's been a constant since he was <laughs> what 20. Uh, so it's been a it's been a trouble that we've done together, and I'm privileged, I must say, that uh, he's allowed me to tell the story all these years. I must be on the sixth update of this book, uh, but it's it's normal. I think we published it for the first time when he was 26, 27, and since then a lot of things have happened. Well, they have, and within the past seven days. He's picked up his eighth Ballon d'Or, which is quite phenomenal, even by his standards. Yeah, I was in Paris and uh, I, f I felt a bunch of things. One, we've in, we've um, uh, I presented commercial events with him for a while, seven or eight. We've sold everything. We've sold we sold phones. We've sold um, Chevy machines. We sold all kinds. And throughout the years, what I saw is that he was getting more and more comfortable with uh, having to deal with the public. Um, but you had to brief him a lot at the beginning. Then a little bit less as things progressed. In Paris, he had his discourse ready. Uh, and, and I know he prepared it a little bit, but prepared it between things because he actually got into Paris at uh, 8.30 in the morning that same Monday and then will fly back past midnight to train the next day in, uh, in Miami. So it's not that he had a lot of time to prepare it, but he seemed so comfortable on that stage. He was... Um, allowing his family to be part of that uh, scenario and and that uh, what it seemed to many like a, like a goodbye. He was also, and this is very, very important, I feel, he was very comfortable talking about the next thing, as in uh, hinting, and more than hinting, that uh, Mbappé, uh, that Haaland, 
Jude Bellingham will be the next ones fighting for that trophy. Now, sports psychologists will tell you, and, and I explore that in detail, for instance, in the Cristiano Ronaldo biography, that there are players that they are in a running machine constantly. And the day that the running machine stops, that is when they have to retire and disappear from the stage. They're not prepared. Obviously, I mentioned Cristiano because I think he's one that is not prepared. The day the machine stops, he will collapse, I feel. I've always had that impression. With Messi, I wasn't sure. But what I'm seeing is little by little, in every decision he takes, a step towards the end. Oh, my God, it hurts to say that. But, um, but yeah, to, to, or to the next stage, if you like. He seems quite okay with what's coming. Guillaume, let's just take a step back to a year ago when Messi wasn't even nominated for the Ballon d'Or. He'd struggled in that first year at PSG. Can you give us some insight at that point as to what was going through his mind in the build-up to the World Cup when obviously everything changed? This is interesting, Ben, because the way the story has been told of Messi for a while was that he was comfortably in Barcelona. What would have happened if he had gone somewhere else? Would he succeed? Uh, and one thing that has to happen for anybody to succeed is that the context is right. And quite clearly, the first thing that happened was that he said goodbye to Barcelona crying. He was hurt by it. And he had to tell his kids, which was another moment of a private moment of tears. And three days later, he was in Paris. This is not somebody that's chosen the next step. This is somebody that has had to take the next step without being prepared for it in a way. And I remember talking to him the day after he arrived to Paris and, and he was very openly saying he was worried about Thiago, his older son, because he reminded him of him, as in he carries everything inside, everything seems to be fine in the outside, but it's in the inside where uh, everything uh, goes crazy, if you like, sometimes, if the, if the context is not right. So he was worrying about uh, about Thiago. And of course, he was worried about himself and with the right reasons. So the first thing that happened, they moved into an, an hotel. I, I went to the hotel, lovely hotel, but a month and a half in that hotel with three kids that, are, that love to run around, not ideal. Uh, the room was huge, as you can imagine, a suite of the biggest standards, but not great. Plus, he had to travel an hour, an hour and a half sometimes to training with a lot of traffic, you know what Paris is like, uh, and then coming back, not great. Plus, he had COVID, a COVID that um, was very, very hard to recover from, uh, even when he had the, um, the medical uh, go-ahead to train, he couldn't breathe properly, and he got an injury as well. So all in all, it was not an ideal start to his time in Paris. But also, as he found a house and it seemed like everything was, was kind of settling, there was that impression that I, I told you, is this my place in the world? And obviously, having been in, in outside Barcelona by the sea where they could just go out and enjoy themselves and they knew all the places to go and there are restaurants... Argentinian restaurants even, that know him very well and his family, etc., to a place that he had to discover. Now, it just didn't fully work. Pochettino got the best out of him, I felt, uh, in, in the system that was used. But, yeah, uh, at PSG, you know what it's like. It's, it's Champions League win or disaster. And eventually, if Luis Enrique had arrived earlier, I think he would have a chance to convince Messi to stay. But he got to a point... Um, where 
the, 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 the roads had to separate and Messi had to move on into the next thing, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which in theory was going to be Barcelona. Yeah, which is which is interesting, Guillaume, when you say this, because you now you say how how happy he is and how content he seems to be with dealing with people. So what do you think has actually been the change? Has it been he's now a World Cup winner? He's got that off his back because he doesn't need an eighth Ballon d'Or. That's clearly not making happy. Is it that he feels comfortable in Miami? Is this a city that he's that he's happy with, or, or or can we literally go back to that night in in Doha, and he's lifted the trophy and he's thought that's it? Depending what you're talking about, if you're referring to his relationship to the world and to the audience and and in in, in public events, that has been a process, uh, a process in which a lot of people around him, the closest people to him, have tried to help. Um, they they try to tell him how to say things, how to approach things, uh, the intonation, a lot of things which he basically has taken on board. Why is he the best player in the world in history? Um, because he has absorbed through the knowledge of his own football culture, the Barcelona football culture, uh, through losing, through competing, he absorbs all that. And the same in, in relation to his other side, which of course is not the one that enjoys the most, but he has to do. He realizes that. I mean, he's on social media. Leo Messi, if if 10 years ago or five years ago I told you this is, this is what he's doing, it's like him? Well, yeah, and he's embraced it. So he knows he's, this is part of it. If you're referring to uh, his professional side, as in his footballer's side, uh, is he in a good place? Does he feel that he's done everything? There is a moment when he wins the World Cup where he looks into the stands and he says, yes, that. Yes, that. It's done. All done now when he wins the World Cup. And he didn't really refer like, that's it, and now retiring. But he was he was actually saying, after all the hardship, after, after all the defeats, that's another way you can tell the Messi story. He was the best, but with Argentina, he didn't reach that level. Well, after all that time where things weren't going his way, finally, he got what he wanted, the dream that he had. Perhaps not perhaps, bearing towards the end of his career. Now, and this goes with the question of what next for Messi. He gets to a point, to that point in, in, in Doha, and he says, that's it. But then they start playing with him and his mind. is like, well, this Copa America is a time to celebrate, isn't it? One more year. All right, let's do that. I've got the impression, this is, this is me, and the wish of some family members of Messi, that once the Copa America is over, they'll go like, Listen, you don't have to go to the qualifiers if you don't want to, but you are only six, seven hours away from Argentina if you want to do the home ones anyway for the <laughs> next World Cup. And then it's only two years, but you don't have to come to all the qualifiers. Maradona did that at the end. And he may have another World Cup in him, but that's that's me dreaming. Yeah, we'll come on to the World Cup in a moment. Messi's obviously on record as saying it's quite a long way away, but he hasn't categorically ruled it out. And once we've heard from Fabrizio Romano, we'll start to look forward to his future. But I want to delve in first, Guillaume, to the drama around the move to Inter Miami. We had PSG post-World Cup going from optimistic to pessimistic. We had the spin machine of Barcelona putting out all kinds of things, but it was more smoke than substance. We had Saudi Arabia, who at one point had a private jet on standby to whisk him over for the formalities and yet he joins into Miami. I know you could write a whole book on that saga alone, but 
Talk us through the context around Messi's move to Inter Miami. Well, you've done it very well. Uh, basically, uh, Luis Campos and Jorge Messi uh, had, uh, should we call it an agreement in principle, uh, in after meeting in, in Qatar, it seemed like everybody was on the same page. But then something changed from PSG point of view. Uh, all of a sudden, the project was different. All of a sudden, they wanted to get rid of Neymar. They weren't sure about Mbappé. Um, the idea was that because of financial financial reasons, but also for political reasons, they decided to have more French players, more players coming through the academy. A lot of things that was not exactly what was sold to Jorge Messi in those meetings in Qatar. So um, it got to a point where um, Leo Messi goes to Saudi Arabia and he gets fined even though he felt that uh, the, the club had been won, etc. In any case, at that at that point, it, it was like, no, we cannot continue here. The fans were against him, uh, against Neymar, and generally against how the club was run. So that, that finished. Uh, from that point on, and different to the move to PSG, there was time to think. But yes, uh, you call it the spin machine of, uh, of Barcelona. Barcelona uh, made all the right noises, but men... men meant meant or did did none of the gestures that you have to do to bring Messi to Barcelona and many would say because Messi didn't want to go no it's actually because Barcelona did not put the conditions at all for Messi to to make his move to Barcelona he would have gone of course he would have gone and as he said when he said goodbye before going to PSG you know they asked him to half his wages he said yes and when he was asked why didn't you have them even more or reduce them even more? He said, nobody asked me. So it was the same here. There was a WhatsApp message to Jorge Messi with a kind of a look of, a, of an offer, but nothing official, nothing de uh, de definite, which meant that, um, all right, if that's not going to happen, what I'm not going to do, Leo thought, was wait until August to see if things happen and find myself in the same situation that I did find uh, just before going to PSG. So he had to take a decision. The Saudi Arabia money was, yes, available and a jet too. But uh, basically, that was the, at the time of thinking, what do I have to do next? Uh, Leo thought, you know what? If I reduce my pressure a little bit, but I still can compete at a good level and I can do it perhaps closer to home or home being his childhood home, because I think home now is Barcelona in his mind. But in any case, um, that, with a project that goes beyond Football is attracted to that as well. All that meant that Inter Miami had the um, had the upper hand, even though two weeks before he actually decided that that was the way to go, not even Inter Miami knew about it. So yes, there had been conversations and everything was put in in place, but we still needed Leo to say, "Okay, let's do that," and eventually that's what he did. And even now, there's talk of a, a loan move to Barcelona. In, in the new year. Is is that a load of nonsense and something that actually Lionel Messi would, would avoid at the moment? Nonsense. And he already said no to it. There's no more. It's just, it's, it's just rubbish. It's the typical story uh, that happens when uh, somebody is in the MLS and others have done it. Why not now? And of course, the um, with, the, with the Chinese tour, uh, it would have been even more difficult. Now, no Chinese too, but it, it doesn't matter. He's probably going to have uh, the longer holidays, but not massive, not two months, month and a half, I would say, uh, but the longest that he's ever had as a as a player. 
part of that um, uh, decompression, if you like, that, that is taking place in his life, but still with the ability to, um, as he suffered with a little bit of a couple of injuries while he was at, uh, at Inter Miami, it would be the possibility of actually recharge batteries and then come back and then, and then train in the way he trains competing all the time and aiming to take into Miami to the highest position he can. We'll discuss what the future is then for Lionel Messi further in just a few minutes, but a little bit earlier, we caught up with the transfer guru Fabrizio Romano to get his take on all the transfer rumours circulating at the moment. But we started by asking him about Messi's record eighth Ballon d'Or win. Yeah, incredible. And uh, and I think he created something historical during the World Cup. So uh, I think it's it's absolutely normal to see the Ballon d'Or in his hands. It's also, it also feels insane to see Erling Haaland scoring that amount of goals and not having a Ballon d'Or. So I agree with Pep Guardiola when he says that they have to do two separate Ballon d'Ors because it's incredible to see Erling without that. But I'm sure that he will win that in the future. So I really agree with Leo Messi. What he said about Mbappe and Haaland, it was a really positive message because they will be there for sure. And I think Jude Bellingham will also be there in the future. Well, they stand more of a chance with Messi, less and less likely, I suppose, to win it from, from now on. But another name you mentioned there, Kylian Mbappe. Now, what is his future? Um, Real Madrid saying they've made no contact, but is there any chance of a, a January move or are we going to have to wait until the summer? No, at the moment, from what I'm hearing for January, there is nothing at all. Uh, that's never said ever in football, but really in this moment, there is nothing at all. And I think it's really unlikely uh, because Mbappe is only focused on Paris Saint-Germain because... We still remember in the summer the situation, especially in July, was really tense between Kylian Mbappé and Paris Saint-Germain. Then they were able to fix the situation at the end of August. Then to be now again in a fight between PSG and, uh, and Mbappé is something that I don't see possible. So they're in a very good moment, positive moment at Paris Saint-Germain. They don't want to change this, uh, this story in January. So I think Real Madrid released that statement because, from what I'm told, they know that nothing is going to change now, in November, in December, or in January. They know that this Bappe story is going to be decided in the next month. So something like February, March, April, not now. And so they didn't want to have a tense situation again between them and PSG or between PSG and Bappe. They want the situation to be normal because that's the reality today. And then to discuss that story in the first months of 2024. Fabrizio, let's move on to Manchester United. Jaden Sancho's future is up in the air how likely is a January move at this point if you had to put a percentage on it and any further information as to where his next destination may be if he leaves? Yeah, well, the destination is not clear yet because uh, I think it will depend on many factors. I saw again many rumours about Borussia Dortmund and obviously they really like him, but uh, I think for many clubs in this moment, I think a crucial moment of the season, they're waiting to decide what they want to do in the January window. So, for example, for Dortmund, it's crucial to see whether they will be again in the Champions League or maybe in Europa League or maybe not even in European competition. So it's important for them to wait for December before deciding anything on January signings. And same for many other clubs around Europe, maybe in Italy, in England, many clubs are waiting before entering into concrete discussions but to put a percentage I would say that we are close to 99% for Jadon Sancho to leave Manchester United it's it's a really complicated situation nothing is changing I think that 1% left is in case Jadon decides to apologize to speak to the coaching staff to the teammates at Carrington in a very special way okay in that case this could change but it's almost two months now and nothing has changed so the feeling of those internal sources at Manchester United and saying those close to the players for Jadon Sancho to leave in the January what about Scott 
McTominay with Casemiro injured and McTominay in good form. Do you think a January exit is less likely now compared to a few weeks or months ago? Yes, I think for Scott McTominay, the situation has always been the same for almost one year now. For May United, it's very clear. In case they receive a really important proposal, he could be on his way out because he's not attachable for May United, but has to be an important proposal. They rejected almost £30 million from West Ham in August, so they want big money for McTominay. Otherwise, they're very happy to keep him, to have him as part of the rotation. He's very professional, very serious. He loves the club, and so at May United, they're very happy with him. So being untouchable is something different, but he's a player that they really appreciate and Tanag really appreciates. So they're not desperate to sell McTominay, and I think he has a chance to stay at the club till the end of the season, as you mentioned, with Casemiro injuries. Not the best season for him till now. So I think they're very relaxed on McTominay in case they receive big money. That could change. But at the moment, they are very happy with him. And Marcus Rashford has called stories linking him with a move away from Old Trafford as, quote, malicious rumours. What can you tell us about Rashford's future and the relationship between the player and Eric Ten Hag? Well, no, the relationship remains very good, has always been very good. Uh, Marcus Rashford knows that Eric Ten Hag was really important for him last season as he completely changed the feeling around Rashford. It was a difficult moment and uh, Eric Ten Hag did an excellent job together with his coaching staff to change uh, the, the career of Marcus Rashford after a fantastic season. Then he extended the contract and it was absolutely crucial for, for, uh, for Rashford and for May United. So at the moment, I'm not aware of any kind of negotiation or any kind of opportunity for Rashford to leave Manchester United. The last contact was almost one year and a half ago when Paris Saint-Germain wanted to sign him, but then nothing happened because for Ten Hag he was absolutely untouchable. And I think for May United, nothing has changed. We had this birthday story in the last seven, ten days, uh, but they fixed that story internally with a direct discussion between Tanag and Rashford because the relationship is very good. So Rashford immediately apologized. There was no, no serious issue, no serious problem. And I think there is nothing else to say, just that Rashford and United are in a good position. They know that they have to change. Rashford has to change the number of goals. They want him to score, obviously, more goals, but um, at the moment, no issues. Fabrizio, let's move to the other side of Manchester and look at Calvin Phillips again. What's his most likely destination uh, in January? And is that likely to be a loan or a permanent move? Look, at this point, it's not clear yet, uh, really. Uh, it's not something that is not decided. Also speaking to some sources in the last two, three days, it's not decided because they want to take their time. And it's the same too, uh, as we mentioned, for, for Jadon Sancho. For example, Newcastle. Newcastle, for sure, are going to look into new midfielder in January after what happened to, to Sandro Tonali. And Calvin Phillips is a player they appreciate. But before deciding how much they want to invest in January, what kind of player they want to sign, the level of the player is crucial for them to understand whether they will be in Champions League, Europa League or not. So in that group, the situation is really tense till the end for Milan, Borussia Dortmund and Newcastle and obviously PSG, but they are in a different, uh, in a different position. So for Calvin Phillips, there are multiple opportunities. Newcastle is one of them, but not the only one. There are also other opportunities. For example, Juventus are looking for a new midfielder and Calvin Phillips is a player who could be on the move in January. So they are aware of the situation, but at the moment Juventus have not started concrete talks with Man City or with the agents of Calvin Phillips. They just know about the situation, but they're not working on a deal. It's Spurs against Chelsea tonight. Either of those two sides any further forward in looking for strikers? Yes, for Chelsea it's a priority. For Chelsea to get a new striker is, is an absolute priority. Then it's not so easy in, uh, in January to find the right player because we know that they like to invest on young players, but 
it's not easy to find a young, talented player at, Man- at a Chelsea level in a January transfer window. For sure, they like Ivan Toni. He could be one of the options, but he's not super young. So let's see how much they could be prepared to invest on, uh, on a player like Toni. Victor Osiman is absolutely a player appreciated by people at Chelsea. But as we always mention here, Napoli are not going to make it easy. Napoli want to keep Osiman at least till the end of the season. And so I think a January move is unlikely and really complicated. And so let's see what they can do. But for sure, for Chelsea, new striker is one of the priorities in 2024. And uh, for Tottenham, it's about opportunities. They're very happy, obviously, with what they're doing uh, with Ange Postecoglou's work. So they are not disparate to bring in a new striker in January. If they find the right opportunity, that could be the case. Otherwise, they're very happy with the squad they have. So I think they will discuss January signings with that spirit. If we find the right player, the right opportunity for the correct fee, okay. Otherwise, we are very happy with what we have. This is the idea and the general mood at, uh, at Tottenham. And let's remind once again that they are still following Santi Jimenez at Feyenoord. There are many clubs monitoring that boy, but Tottenham scouts know the player very well. And so that's it. Just a quick word for Brizio on Kevin De Bruyne to Saudi Arabia. We know he's been on the wish list for 2024 for quite some time, but is anything concrete developing? Not yet, but uh, what we can say is that from what I'm hearing, even before the Champions League final this year uh, from Saudi, they approached people close to Kevin De Bruyne to try to understand if there was any chance to discuss a summer move. And in that case, it was a no from Man City and Kevin De Bruyne because they wanted to continue together. Now they're not negotiating from what I'm hearing. So it's not something concrete yet at this stage, also because it will be something for the summer. So I think it's way too early before knowing the plans of Man City, the plans of Guardiola, the plans of De Bruyne. There are too many factors before mentioning that as a concrete uh, deal, but at the same time, the interest has always been there, and we know how they work in Saudi. If they appreciate a player, they like to return and insist, and I think this is something that could happen in the summer, that they would return and try to negotiate again for uh, for Kevin De Bruyne. Fabrizio, let's just squeeze one more in. Uh, terrific scenes in, with the Copa Libertadores and Marcelo uh, winning with Fluminense. Now, uh, more importantly for Liverpool fans, the midfielder Andre and him almost sending out a message, come and get me. What would uh, Liverpool like to do with, with Andre? Bring him over as soon as possible. Is, is that still on the cards? Yeah, he remains a player appreciated by Liverpool. Uh, as the player confirmed, they wanted him in the summer, but then the player Fluminense decided to gather against the move because they wanted to follow this dream of the Copa Libertadores and then probably leave in the January window. So that's why they, they rejected. He remains on Liverpool list, but from what I'm hearing, it's not only Liverpool. There are more clubs from, from Europe trying to understand the conditions of the deal, uh, what Fluminense would be open to accept in January. So at the moment, it's really evolving. I think in the next few weeks, the situation could be more clear because some discussions will take place to understand the final price, the intention of the player. But Liverpool are still interested. Let's see if they want to invest money because I think it has to be something around 35, 40 million euros. But he remains a player really appreciated by those decided Liverpool. That's Fabrizio Romano talking to us a little bit earlier. But uh, we are discussing what's next for Lionel Messi. We'll talk to Guillaume Balaguer, his official biographer, in just a moment. But Ben, uh, there's one bit of transfer news we didn't talk about to Fabrizio, and that was an interesting one. Emma Hayes leaving WSL Chelsea, and it looks like, it's unconfirmed as far as I understand it, heading to the US to be there women's national coach yeah that one's almost certain Emma Hayes's next destination will be America she'll take up the role as the U.S. women's national team head coach and discussions at the time we're live are 
advanced and the feeling is that it will be a done deal in the coming weeks but she won't leave until May and it's a big blow for Chelsea because it won't just be Hayes but Denise Reddy the number two at Chelsea at the moment will also depart and there'll be time for a transition and Emma Hayes will have some say over who the next Chelsea women's manager is but for the US women's national team they're getting a fantastic coach a pioneer in the women's game let's not forget that Emma Hayes has been at Chelsea for over a decade and during her tenure at the club she's won six league titles five women's FA Cups two FA Women's League Cups and in addition to that she's taken Chelsea relatively far in the Women's Champions League as well so a fantastic time at Chelsea but her dad always said to Emma that the USA was the place to be. And Emma Hayes has got some excellent contacts and friends out in that region. So it's no surprise that she's been tempted by this role. And although she won't leave Chelsea in May, over the coming weeks, we're going to learn that that deal is done. And Matt Crocker, who's the new sporting director for both the men and the women's side of the US soccer setup, has been influential in luring Hayes over. So Chelsea announced that Hayes was leaving in the last 48 hours. And it was a big surprise to many, even those within the dressing room only learned about the news about an hour before the official statement came out. But Hayes to America is a done deal and it's going to be a fantastic appointment. And it means, of course, that we might get a British coach winning a World Cup for America. Well, well that, I was going to say that that would be very nice. But you're talking about America being the place to be. Let's turn it back to Lionel Messi, clearly an inter Miami. Angus, can I just say one Me thing about Emma? Yeah, um, of Emma is a reference to all of us that are in football, either one side or the other of the game. As you know, I'm, I'm the chairman of a football club in England. And yeah. the way he uh, he conducts herself, the way she respects the opposition, how she treats the profession, there's a lot of things that I adore about Emma, and she knows it. So much so that there is... Only one mural at the moment of Emma Hayes in one wall in the whole of the world. And that's at the uh, at the ground of Beagles Are United, the club and chairman of. We decided to put a mural because when the men's and the women's, the girls and the boys walk into our pitch, they know that uh, that is the reference. That is the way to behave. And that is somebody that uh, you have to keep an eye whatever she does next. Uh, because she, it will be excellent in whatever she does. So very much looking forward to seeing her uh, in charge of, America, of, of the Yes, United we States. wish her every success. I, th I thought you were going to say that you, the mural was in your bathroom or something, but but thankfully <laughs> no. you, did, no. you, you didn't say that. But as I have to say, of, of all the people in the game, men's and women's, listening to Emma Hayes is always so fascinating and insightful. And I remember a, a colleague of mine, called Tim Capel, who used to work with Emma um, at Eurosport and commentated with her a lot when she was a, a co-commentator, well before she hit the uh, other headlines of sort of domestic UK TV. He was banging on about her, saying, you've got to get her on on ITV or, or wherever I was at the time um, because she's that good, and I'm, I'm glad she, she was got the her. best. She, she was the best com commentator yeah. of the Russian World Cup mm. by a mile. Yeah, well, by a mile. So I, I agree. The, the she's so knowledgeable, yeah. Anyway, back to Lionel Messi. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, look, for him, uh, you know, America is the place to be. America is the current place to be for him. Do you, do you feel, Guillaume, it's going to be the last club that he plays for? Yes. 
Yeah, I say I say that because um, now there is a there's a life side to it. He needs to have his family comfortable and happy, and he will do that. He will go back to Barcelona in some capacity, but Inter Miami will be his last club. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. There was a point long ago in which the Messi started um, considering the possibility of going back to Argentina, but the situation in Argentina is is, is difficult uh, with uh, half of the population. Uh, are in poverty status so uh, there's a lot of tension it's just it's just not the right place to go uh, but uh, I must say that I hope the MLS and Inter Miami as well um, raise their game uh, they've got Leo Messi with them and to do that um, it's something that everybody has to take advantage of what I'm trying to say is that uh, if you want to bring the Leo Messi's uh, into the MLS everybody's got to be at the highest standards possible. And that's something that the MLS, I'm sure, are trying to achieve. And also Inter Miami, I think it's been uh, a shock to everyone, both the MLS and Inter Miami, what Messi represents for the world and what that means in terms of interest, in terms of uh, commercial uh, deals, a lot of things that uh, has come to a, a little bit of a, of a, of a shock. But... Everybody's trying to adjust to it, uh, and as they progress on that, that will make Messi's life uh, even easier. Uh, and yes, he is happy. He wants to uh, win, surrounded by friends now. I don't know if Luis Suarez will end up going to uh, Inter Miami or not, but certainly he's got Jordi Alba and Sergi Busquets, who are two of his closest friends, uh, both on and off the pitch. The fairy tale, Guillaume, for when you update the book in three years' time would be Messi stays at Inter Miami, he wins a bunch of silverware within MLS, and then he finishes off with a World Cup, he defends his title and walks off into the sunset or the boardroom at Barcelona, whichever way you want to look at it. How likely, given that Messi's so coy when asked about it, is another World Cup for Messi? He's won the previous one. It's just that the... Um, the wanting to win more is something that he, ha he hasn't abandoned him. So obviously he was changing to the MLS right now and halfway through the season and the situation that into Miami were in, he couldn't help a lot. But, uh, but the idea is to win the MLS and be the best player and score more goals than anyone. That's what he's thinking of. That will keep him at a good level. And you don't have to, well, if you're Messi, you don't have to run a lot uh, and you don't have to be the sharpest physically either as we saw in in qatar so let's see what happens in copa america and really literally uh, this will be a speculations because for him it's going to be year after year there'll be a year in which as we said earlier uh, part of this goodbye that is long goodbye that he's saying to the football world one day will be like now is the real goodbye and i think he will be okay with it but that's nowhere close yet uh, and two or three years, I personally see it. Uh, and if if uh, if he keeps competing, he will be with the national team. And I mean, imagine Copa America goes well for a year. Harley goes to the national side. You rest. You do MLS. And then he's like, on one year, there's another World Cup. Of course, he'd like to go. I think. Do you feel he's he he? he cares or, or doesn't care about any rivalry with Cristiano Ronaldo these days. But that's all story now. That's an old hat now. That that uh, I, I personally feel that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was the best uh, goal scorer in history and Leo Messi the best player in history. Um, and with that, I will resolve the debate in a way. 
but quite clearly they made each other better. There's no doubt about that. But I meant what I said on on Monday on the Ballon d'Or, which was the Messi and Ronaldo era is, is gone, is over. I think Ronaldo now is struggling with his with his body and consistency. Not a problem. It happens when you are well 38. But the new era includes Mbappé, Jude Bellingham, uh, Haaland, and Messi. Because imagine for a second that they win the Copa America, and this is a big thing for Argentina, of course, trying to win it again. And with Inter Miami, he does very well. He was already the first player in, in history of the Ballon d'Or to actually be away from Europe and win it. Who is there to say that he doesn't win it again, or at least becomes one of the top three players in the world again? Um, so maybe Haaland, Mbappé, and uh, whoever else, uh, Jude Bellingham, they will have to wait a little bit longer to get uh, their hands on the Ballon d'Or. But you think uh, there's, he, he would definitely play in the Copa America? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he's got it in his head that he wants to win it, not just play it. Copa America is the next target. Copa America was uh, is one of the reasons as well but why he's got no interest in using the month and a half that he's got to rest to go anywhere else. Um, and the least of all, Barcelona, after what happened in the summer. So it's about resting and preparing himself for what it will be, could be his last international tournament or maybe not. So, again, when we look at that balance between Inter-Miami and Copper America and also just general game management, so Messi has longevity, give us a little bit of insight as to the balance between club expectations, MLS expectations versus Messi, because you would think they'll become a point in the next 12 months where Messi is driving his minutes and Messi has goals that are beyond just Inter-Miami and yet, as we've seen already, there's high ticket prices, there's high expectation, there's slightly unfair outrage if Messi isn't picked in games, isn't starting in games, because people are playing a lot of money to see the Messi show within MLS. Do you see Messi being in full control of his own calendar, regardless of what games and what minutes into Miami want him to play? There are things that... Uh that you don't need to discuss. Um, it takes me back to when he was 21 and he wanted to be with Argentina for the Olympic Games and Barcelona didn't let him because they were in the qualifiers of the Champions League and the dates coincided. This was the first uh, summer of Pep Guardiola with, with Barcelona and Pep didn't need to ask Leo what he wanted to do. He knew. So basically he went to Laporta, Pep Guardiola, and said, let him go. Let him go, because if we let him go, he's going to owe me something. He's going to own the manager something. So Laporta said, OK, hesitantly said, yeah, OK, let him go. Uh, and not only he went, he actually got the golden uh, medal. And yes, if, if he, Leo felt that Pep Guardiola understood him, Tata Martino is going to be the same. Tata will know that uh, uh, that he wants to play in the Copa America. It doesn't mean that he's going to reduce his time with uh, Inter Miami. It means that the season is going to be longer, which then has to be played in terms of, uh, you know, Inter has got like all the big clubs. I've got all the facilities to actually get him in a machine and say, look, he's on the verge of an injury. He's got to rest. And he's on the verge of total exhaustion and he's still got three months left of the competition including the summer competition and then they will have to um, to work on that but I think everybody will understood that that's the case I don't know of him ever 
to actually not play to actually be fit for Argentina. He's never, ever done that. I don't think he'll do it again. How would you describe your relationship with him? So it started very early because I, I saw the potential. I was told of the potential. And basically, he needs to be surrounded by people that, that he trusts. So the same people that have been looking after him for 15 years, Pepe Costa, for instance, who's always next to him, will continue with him. Uh, his dad is his agent, has always been. His girlfriend's the girlfriend that he had when he was 11. Um, the PR machine is done by the same people that have dealt with him for the last 10 years. And and I, um, straight away, once they decided to do the book, I remember the first answer from the Messi entourage and family. It was like, no, we don't help anybody to write anything about Leo. I said, well, but people know two things about Leo. Uh, and, I and in Argentina and Spain more, perhaps. The rest of the world, not so much. So they went, oh, okay, well, you go and see what happens. They were so happy with the with the book when it first came out that they said, look, you want to call it authorized? Go ahead, call it authorized. Be happy with the work. And after that, it was like, Guillaume, uh, we got to present a commercial event. You want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. So I've kind of gone into that small circle that uh, that is close to, uh, to Leo. He's always been very good to me and his dad as well, his family. And now I feel in that privileged position of being able to uh, to come out with more stories within the authorized book uh, that that perhaps you haven't heard of uh, and certainly takes his side of the story, which he knows that at some point he's, to, he's got to put it out. Sometimes he does it with interviews, sometimes he does it with, does it with the book that we, we keep updating. I think as you touch upon Guillaume, you have that relationship, so you know a great deal about Messi off the field, but many people won't really understand too much about the personality because he's quiet, he doesn't do that much media, he does his talking on the football field. So what, in your opinion, knowing him better than most, might be next for Lionel Messi? Is he more like David Beckham, who could own a club who could develop a brand is he going to be different in retirement more open showcase more of his personal life is he a coach is he a manager is he a sporting director is he an ambassador if he goes into a non-football role what's next next once he finishes with Inter Miami is to go home and I think home for him is where his three kids were born which is outside Barcelona He's got his house there, loves it. Uh, life is quiet, can come out and walk around and, and he doesn't get bothered. That is for his life. And next to it, he will join Barcelona. And the invitation will come for, from whoever is the chairman at the time. Uh, there will be an, an homage, maybe when the new no camp reopens the doors. But after that, when he retires, uh, he would like to be advisor to the president or technical secretary. He can see talent. He has been suggesting talent for a while um, to Barcelona, for instance, I'm sure for Inter as well. And and then that's it. No coaching, no uh, chairmanship, no ownership, I don't think, of a club, even though, of course, uh, with the deal he's got with the MLS, uh, he can uh, keep that under his wing at some point, maybe use it. But uh, yeah, I think he would like to um, bring talent to Barcelona, make Barcelona better and of course with him he brings also this other commercial side of it so i'm sure that not him but people close to him will try to create synergies between the club and himself to make barcelona better maybe even to get barcelona out of the mess they're in i think that's what's uh, next for messi 
is there any possibility this time next year he'll have picked up a ninth Ballon d'Or? <laughs> It'd be hard, but as I say, the, the problem with the Ballon d'Or is that it's very Eurocentric. If you actually win uh, the Copa America uh, and you win the MLS with Inter Miami, maybe people wouldn't appreciate it as much as he should be appreciated. But if people have been reminded that he's still doing doing it and winning things, what's the likelihood that he will be, anyway, top three and stop Jude Bellingham or Haaland or Mbappé actually get into that top three? So I wouldn't fall asleep if, if I was them. Uh, winning it would be a little bit hard. Yeah, Ben, for you? Not next year, but... If he wins the Copper or if he's still around <laughs> in 2026 and Argentina defend their <laughs> World Cup trophy and he scores 50 plus goals in an MLS season, then absolutely he's going to get nominated again for a Ballon d'Or in the next two years, presuming he's still playing. He's probably going to get a top 15 finish regardless. And as I say, if he wins something on the international stage, then I would say that a ninth Ballon d'Or is not impossible, but I'm a sentimentalist, so I would say that. <laughs> well, we all yeah. are. I mean, it, it, yeah, exactly. We all are. We we've all got just got to cherish the time we've got left watching him. Look, if if you like I, Kim, were you know sitting in uh, Lucille Stadium watching the most unbelievable performance in a World Cup final, and, and from Kylian Mbappe as well, for goodness' sake, um, you know, you you just pinch yourself and think we've we've been very lucky to experience yeah. unbelievable moments that that he's gifted us and and you've been very lucky to sit alongside him for much of your career and in and enjoy it at, at close quarters um which is why it's all in your in your new book uh, the only yes. authorized Those that are biography looking, of this one that is it <laughs> that's the one it looks looks like that one so when will it be uh, on our shelves Guillaume? So basically, um, on the UK, it will be from the 16th of November. I think in the United States, arrives in February. But uh, the, it's been translated to about 20 languages. So little by little, each one of them will have their update and uh, will take the story of Messi to winning the World Cup and to moving to Miami. Brilliant. Well, and talking of Miami, if you are listening to this and you're in Florida or near Miami, then Guillaume and Ben will both be at SoccerX, uh, which is coming up very shortly. And you can listen to these these wise men, these two wise men all over again, uh, talking about Lionel Messi and lots more besides. I think that's right. That's right, James. yeah. Not that, I was, yeah, not yeah, that you're wise, checking, but the fact that you will be. <laughs> yeah. I was checking yeah. when, when that is. Um, SoccerX Miami, I'll be talking about Messi, something called Knowing Messi, the 14th of November, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. in the MANA, Wynwood Convention Center, whatever that is. If anybody's around, go. come over. Exactly. And there's go a golf and course. Go and see as well. <laughs> oh, excellent. Ben, you're always looking for extracurricular. That's it. Guillaume will be talking. Uh, I'll be on the golf course. <laughs> yeah, prob probably the best way around. Um, but back both, thank you very much indeed, Guillaume. Uh, all all the success in the world with the book. Uh, it's look, it's already a bestseller. It's um, it's done about eight prints, as you said. I, I think before he retires, you'll still have a few more chapters to write and rewrite and rewrite, and then um, add infinitum. I would have thought. Then I'll have to come back here and talk, talk about it. Thank you, Angus, and I'll Absolutely. see you in Miami well, Ben next week. Look forward to it. That'll be great. 
Uh, Guy and Ben, thank you both very much indeed. You've been listening to The Debrief and we will be speaking to you next week. Bye-bye. Money.